This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via our participating restaurants, 18 plus reward registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and time supply, see mcdonalds.com. Okay, here we go. Well, joining me for this uh, special edition of uh, Forever Bristol City <laughs> podcast is a man who's, he's the one who's usually asking the questions, but he agreed a few weeks ago when we had a chat about podcasts, so he let me be the uh, question master for one of a better description. Uh, Jeff, good evening and welcome. David, great to be with you. You well? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, life's uh, not too bad, really. Not too bad, all good. things considered. Jeff, um, I want to begin by talking about your childhood to some extent because you were born into a football family (laughs) your dad played I think it was 170 games for Liverpool between 53 and 59 I think he scored a few goals as well and then he became chief scout which he was for about 19 years now when he was doing that Mm. 67 to 86 you were a lad and he was out there discovering the likes of discovering the likes of Ian Rush and Alan Hansen. What was it? What was it like? Were you going to the matches as well? Were you seeing Keegan and Toshak and all those players then? No, he went on his own. To be honest, David, I never went with him once. I never saw him play, sadly, because I was born in '59, so that was the end of his days. And um, not like the modern era where you can actually get video and footage. I haven't really got anything other than pictures of my dad, but very proud of his footballing career. No, he's a football genius. To be able to go to Chester and um, places like that and see a, a fourth division striker and know he's going to be good enough eventually to play in the Champions of Europe was quite something. No, I never went with him. I went once to Shrewsbury. Why I went to Shrewsbury, I do not know. <laughs> and um, No, he used to go on his own. Uh, he had a little scouting network around the country. He had a man in the southwest, a man in London, a man in the Midlands. He did the northwest and then someone up in Scotland and the northeast and they saw someone who was half decent, they'd say to him to go and watch. If he liked it, the manager would go and watch. If he liked it, they'd sign him. Occasionally, Ian Rush, the best example I can cite you, um, because one or two others got interested in Ian Rush, Man City principally with Malcolm Allison, uh, Dad said to Bob Paisley, we need to move quickly. And Bob Paisley said to Dad, is he going to be good enough? Dad said, yeah, sign him. And they signed Ian Rush without Bob Paisley ever seeing him. But no, he went on his own. And it was like an unwritten rule in the house. You didn't ask who he was watching. I knew where he'd been because I had this amazing collection of football programmes because that <laughs> always picked up a programme. Um, 
But as to who he was watching, it was the unwritten rule. He occasionally told you afterwards why he signed a certain player, but um, it was it was terrible in the, in the playground. Everyone knew Dad's position at the football club, and um, you know all my buddies, all my mates at school. Um, as I grew up through my teenage years, who are we watching, Jeff? Who are we going to sign? Who's next to <laughs> Liverpool? And, and if I knew, I couldn't have told them, but I genuinely no. didn't know. But he yeah. was a, he was a clever man. He was a very clever football man. Yeah, and did you did you actually was Liverpool your team back then? Did yeah. you used to go to the matches and what have you? Because that yeah. was the halcyon days for Liverpool, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, I got um, I got two two sisters and one brother, and um, we were all Liverpool fans except the black sheep of the family. One of my sisters was was a blue nose, which well, why? She was a bit rebellious, and I think she just went the Everton way, which was you know. I don't think she ever really wanted to be an Evertonian, but it was just her, her nature, so to speak. But yeah, I used to go a lot. Um, Dad was entitled to two complimentary tickets, so I'd go with my mum quite a lot um, through my teenage years. And when I got to about 16 or 17, I thought, I've had enough of these posh seats on the side of the pitch. I want to go down there, the yeah. cop. And I used to go yeah. with my buddies and go in the, right in the middle of 24,000 people. Um, and sing and chant and be a be a proper Liverpool fan, yeah. And then I, I got on the books eventually. I was, I was playing in the reserves when I was eighteen. Um, who great teammates. Who were your teammates back then? If you were in the reserves, you must must be a few names that, that went Sammy on. Lee. Maybe a decline. Sammy Lee was the big name. Who was at the same age as me, little Sammy. He played on the right hand side. He made he made it properly in the first team and the likes. Um, but what I remember one experience which was quite surreal. Um, it was before the 1977 European Cup final when Liverpool beat Borussia Mönchengladbach to win it for the first time. And they were trying to get Ian Callaghan fit. And uh, Ian Callaghan, of course, record appearance makers for Liverpool and a wonderful man. Saw him a couple of years ago at Anfield, actually, amazing guy. And he was playing the reserves this night because he wanted to get him fit. And we're out on the pitch warming up. And in those days, it's not like the regimented team warm-up they do nowadays. You just have a bit of a jog about, stretch the quads, stretch on the groins, and then ping the ball to each other. And I was on Anfield in the in the cop half of the pitch. And it's about 30, 40, 30 yards apart from me and Ian Callaghan. And he just said to me, go over there, Jeff. And he started pinging this ball at me, Dave. And I still remember it now. And I played with a lot of footballers in the time. It was like half an inch off the ground, pinging at you. You could hear it coming, fizzing at yeah, you. Yeah. And goodness me, I was thinking, oh my goodness, you know, don't make a fool of yourself. And I managed to push <laughs> it down and pass. Did that about two or three times. I said, cheers, Ian, I'll go and jog up there now. I thought, get out of the way, be while I go and was good, like, you know. But um, invaluable experience to play in the reserves. Never going to be good enough. Um, yeah. Were you definitely. I mean, but great to play. Great to play. Your, but to get to Liverpool reserves is no mean feat. Yeah. I mean, when yeah, did, yeah. were you destined to be in the professional <laughs> game as a player yourself? Did you have any brothers that, you know, didn't quite have it and you were the one that was going to follow in dad's footsteps or, 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 or what? I don't think it was a destiny. It was a, 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 a very strange route that I took, really. I mean, um, I stayed on at school, did my A-levels, and then um, went into non-league football and played for Formby. Then I moved to Chorley, who have just got an FA Cup tie, of course, with, with Derby, which is amazing for that football club. And that was, that was a big call to go and do that because I was playing the buddies at Formby, two nights a week training, Go and have a beer after training, although I only drank orange and lemonade. And then a chance to go to Chorley, which was Northern Premier League, and that was a mm. car car drive away. And it was it was making a it was making a real effort. And um, 
I thought this is my last chance to be a footballer. So I went up to went up to Chorley in the Northern Premier League, which is like National League style down here with Bath City playing, but north up there. And um, I had two really good seasons. And I had this ridiculous season, David, where I scored 24 goals from centre-half. 12 penalties, but 12, 12 outfield yeah. goals. And that caught the eye of Preston North End. Gordon Lee was the manager. And they Gordon decided Lee. to sign yeah, Gordon well, Lowe. He, was, he was a bit of a dullard, wasn't he? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> only saying that because nice. I knew blue fans that used to say about him back in those yeah, days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was an acquired taste, but he gave me the chance. He gave me the chance to go to Preston. So he signed this goal scoring centre half who scored one goal in his first season. But uh, I was never destined to play for Liverpool. Um, what it was, I was on Southport's books and we played Liverpool reserves in the Liverpool Senior Cup final at Hague Avenue. And um, I played quite well, despite losing 5-1. Oh, no, 5-0. What am I on about? We didn't yeah. even score a goal. 5-0. So I played all right. And I looked up at mum and dad, who were like up in the stands, and dad just gave me a thumbs up, which was massive praise from my dad. Yeah. It wasn't easy to impress him. Having tea, or people call it dinner, but we call it tea up in the Northwest. So there's me, my brother, two sisters, mum and dad, six of us around the table. And we're like three quarters of the way through the meal. And dad goes... Oh, by the way, Tom had a word with me today. Tom being Tom Saunders, who was the youth development youth development officer, who was a big, big cheese in the recruitment of younger players at Liverpool back in the day. I went, he went, Tom had a word with me today. Um, and I went, all right. And he went, they want to sign you. <laughs> this was like during food light. And I went, sign me. He said, yeah, they thought they did well last night. So they want to have a look at you for the rest of the season. So do you think we can get you out of Southport? And, come and play in the reserves. And if you're good enough, they'll offer you a contract. If not, there's no, you know, n- nothing lost from it. And this was like during a meal. Like, I mean, goodness me. I don't <laughs> think I could finish. I don't think I finished my meal with the yeah. excitement. And Southport were great. They said, yeah, go, go and have a go at it. And I say, I played the reserves. And it was a wonderful experience because without sounding complacent, everything after that never really overawed me because I wanted to play in Liverpool's first team and having played in the reserves, but well, fair enough. You, and you I, know, bet they got, I bet they got crowds of eight and 10,000 back then for reserve matches, didn't they? Yes. Well, they got a, they got a decent crowd in, yeah. They got a good crowd, yeah. Because it would have been central, central League in those days. Central League, yeah. That was like North West, like Man City, yeah. Man United, Liverpool, Everton. So it was, it, was a, it was a strange scenario. So I'd, I'd go to school during the day, study my A-levels, um, play at Anfield in the evening and then go back to school the next day. It was... Bizarre. People asking for me autograph outside the ground. I could yeah. never fathom out why. Yeah. I never fathom out why. How was your career at uh, Preston and how did you come at the age of, I'm guessing, uh, 20s, mid-20s, come down to Bristol, which is probably a place that you'd only seen on a map before? Yeah, pl- played down here. It's a curious thing, David. When you're a footballer, um, you travel to all these towns and cities and you draw this quick kind of assessment as to whether you'd like to live there or play there and Bristol was always a place, despite I don't think I ever won down here for Preston, at either Eastville as it was then and Ashton Gate as it probably still is now. Um, but it always looked like a really nice place to be. So um, Preston was a rocky three years. Great induction, but we had six managers in three years. So that tells you about the kind of instability of the football club. Yeah, which would and, be a lot, of, a lot of managers in a short period of time for those days yeah, as well, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Gordon Lee signed me. Um, Alan Kelly took over, former goalkeeper for the yeah. Republic of Ireland. Bless him, he's not with us anymore. Then Tommy Booth took over, centre back, used to be at Man City. Brian yeah. Kidd took over from him because Kiddo was his assistant. Kiddo was a wonderful man. 
Um, they all went, and then John Clark, who's a midfield player, took over as player manager. So there was there were seven of us whose contracts were up at the end of this particular season, and um, the club just thought, right, we're going to start afresh, and they just made the chairman made this decision to get rid of all seven, no, six players. There were six. Just say, right, go and find yourselves a club. And I was the only one out of the six who've got a football league club, which is extraordinary. Bobby Gould rang me. He'd been on holiday. I was say it was Bobby who was in charge. Yeah, BG. Yeah, he's got a lot to answer for. Um, <laughs> Bob, Bob had been away on holiday and met Brian Kidd. And Bobby said to Brian, do you know any centre-backs who are available? Good pros, not going to cost me very much money, really. And, you know, might be interested in Brussels Rovers. And Kiddo said... Give Jeff Twentyman a ring. Give Jeff Twentyman a ring. He, he won't let you down. And um, and that was it. Bob rang me and I thought, oh, wow, Bristol Rovers. Yeah, I'll play for them. It's a nice place, Bristol. And came down on a uh, two-year contract 33, yeah. 33 years ago. My son was five weeks old. He's 33 now. So that's the kind of barometer <laughs> of the time. That was when their training and ground was down at uh, Hambrook, wasn't it? Yeah, a couple Hambrook, of porter yeah. cabins. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. Oh, yeah. All porter cabins at Rovers back in the day. Twerton Park. Bobby didn't tell me we were going to Twitten Park. He didn't mention it. So I'm looking forward to playing for Eastville. It always seemed a nice kind of charismatic, yeah. <laughs> you know, charismatic little ground. So I was in the boozer up in the northwest, and this bloke, who's a bit of a football knowledge, font of all knowledge, he said to me, Oh, where are you playing your football next year then, Jeff? I went, Bristol Rovers. He went, Oh, Bristol Rovers. Is that the blue and white or the red? I said, Blue and white. He said, Oh, yeah. You're going to be playing at a non league ground, aren't you, next year? <laughs> Am I? Bobby Jewell never mentioned this. <laughs> So this is pre-mobile phone days, David. So next morning, I rang BG up. Not going to be a game, game breaker because I had no other offers. And um, I said, Bob, where are we going to be playing next season? And he said, uh, I know him full well, he hadn't mentioned it. I said, he said, Twerton Park, Bath City's ground. I went, all right, what's it like? <laughs> and he said to me, he said, it's one of the best non-league grounds in the country. So I thought, it must be a new build. It must be something really special. And when I saw it, I realised it wasn't <laughs> because it was like, you know, no disrespect to, to Bath City. No. It was a tip, you know what I mean? But it worked <laughs> to our advantage. It worked to our advantage. Um, and Bristol's been amazing for me. You know, it, um, you know, I, 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 I kind of moved into broadcasting in a way to stay in the city of Bristol because I absolutely love it down here. It's fantastic. Yeah, fantastic it place. So Bobby wasn't in charge for that long, was he, when you joined? And it was Jerry Francis that took over. That must have been, yeah. uh, I mean, most of your time there, Jerry was the manager. What was what was he like to uh, to play for? He did one season. Um, amazing. Best football brain by a mile that I've ever worked with, other than those at Anfield at Liverpool. But, you know, in terms yeah. of when my, my proper playing days... Um, he, he made every player in our squad, whether it was Nigel Martin in goal, all the way through the back four, midfield four, to the left winger, better players than, than we were when he took over. And yeah. he, well, he bonded us and welded us into a really effective football team and highly motivated squad. Um, what, what he, he, he was like, best way of putting it, really, Jerry Francis was like football analysis before all the cameras and all the kind of drones came out because he'd watched the game mm. and he remembered everything. It was frightening. We always had a meeting on a Monday morning and he'd remember details from individuals' performances that you'd forget yourself and yet all, all you had to remember was your own performance. Um, brilliant football brain. He wasn't a great man manager, if I'm being honest. He wasn't overly interested in man management, but mm. in, terms of, in terms of coaching and making you better, 
And he had this amazing ability on the training ground where, say, Ian Holloway was practicing free kicks to clip them into Devon White and Ollie was struggling with it. Jerry would just say, get out of the way. He'd have he'd had flat sole shoes on. He'd pull his quad at once. He'd go, clip, and he'd put it right on Devon's nugget. Devon would head it in. He'd go to Ollie, yeah. go on, do it yourself. Now. And he could demonstrate, <laughs> you know what I mean? And um, oh, amazing football brain. And I'm still in touch with him a lot, Jerry. I, you know, I, I, the man is fantastic. Is he still involved him, in the game? Because he was an antique dealer in the end, wasn't he? Or something like that, yes? Well, he liked a little bit of that, and he likes his pigeons. He worked with Tony. He worked with Tony. I need to find out now if he's actually gone with Tony Pulis to Sheffield Wednesday because he worked with Pew everywhere except Middlesbrough because he couldn't get to Middlesbrough conveniently. Jerry was a, not strange in any detrimental way, but he was a creature of habit and he drove to training every day from Bagshot, which is a fair old trip yeah, from yeah. Bagshot to Bristol, and he'd drive home every night and then back the next day. And when he worked with Tony Pulis at say. Stoke, um, or there's another club who's in the Midlands as well, and he would drive on a daily basis from Bagshot and drive. He liked to be in his own bed at night. Incredible how many miles he would do doing that. So I need to find out actually if he's gone with Tony to, to Hillsborough. I guess he will have done because he, he was the brains behind Tony Pulis's frugal teams yeah. who don't give much away. Yeah. Jerry's brilliant. Let's go back to the 80s, because the mid-80s, when you were there, it was a time when, uh, and we all know which colour I am, all right? And, well, that's why it's uh, Forever Bristol City Podcast. But, uh, yeah, it's fine. In the, mid- fine. in the mid-80s, it was a bit of a house in days for Rovers against yeah, City. And yeah. I've got here, if I'm mistaken, your first derby. And I remember the game, actually. It was New Year's Day, 1987. And it was 1-0. I've written this down. But I can I can remember it. Gary Smart scored in the 87th minute, and then and I've read read, read this out of the book. Dave Mayhew was in goal after Timmy Carter yeah, got yeah. injured. So that that was one that I remember. But this was this was a big scoring one a few years. Well, the next season actually 87 88, and it was uh, early season. Three all draw. Three you got yeah, it. And the Sydney yeah, team that yeah. day: Woff, Llewellyn, Bromwich, Moyes, Newman, Galliers, Marshall. Fitzpatrick, Neville, Walsh and Jordan. For the gas, Timmy Carter in goal, Jock, Alexander, that's Nicky Tanner, Kenny yeah, Hibbert, yeah. Vaughan Jones, Holloway, Reese, Andy Reese. that was, wasn't it? Devon White, yeah. Rice and Purnell. Yeah, yeah. Back in those days, even as a yeah. City fan, you could probably name most of the Rovers yeah. players as well. Yeah. But that was, is that three-all game one that stands out? For you, was that the one when Alexander got sent off for crossing? Well, that rounds it, Jock getting sent off rounds it down to about six games, I think. Yeah, you know what? You, you, you mentioned the three all, and I do remember it, but the first one is the one I remember the most because born and raised on Merseyside, I used to go, I used to love going to a, a Merseyside derby, red against blue, blue against red, because you knew what it meant to people, you yeah. knew if their team won. On a Saturday, they went to work on a Monday, an hour before they should, and they would just luxuriate in the victory. And you knew what it meant to people. So when I played in that very first one on, on New Year's morning, it was 11.30 kickoff at Ashton Gate. There were about 24,000 people inside the stadium. And I remember walking out on the pitch to warm up, thinking, wow, this is, this is proper football. Because mm. Preston against Blackburn, Preston against Burnley, Preston against Blackpool is okay, but that's a Lancashire derby. This was, this was really more tribal. Yeah. And, um, and now the three-all was a hell of a game. Yeah, I remember that vividly, yeah. But um, that first one, which was 
well, there's people in Hawfield Prison for less. The way Rovers stole that game against me. <laughs> there'd been, there'd been, a, been a boxing match at the stop after 20 minutes, but it was our day and fate went our way. I mean, the winning goal, for example, you, you mentioned Gary Smart. We had a free kick inside our half, right of centre. And in those days, you could pass it back to the goalie, you could pick yeah, it up yeah. and roll it out and all that. But I, I remember making that positive decision. It was nil-nil. And I was I was on free kicks because I could I could whoosh it quite a long distance. Goalie and take a point. And then I thought, no, no, let's put it in the mix and see what happens. So I drilled it forward and Moisey won the header off Tre uh, Trevor Morgan. Great header from Moisey on the, on the penalty spot. And he headed it out into the D and Gary Smart walked onto it. And he, he could never, he, I bet he's never done it again since. He absolutely half volleyed it. it off his he right foot. It. Yeah, I can remember that one. To, to off his right. And it went in the net and, and bizarre, we won the game 1-0. But as I say, City were far superior on the day. But um, no, that was, I mean, that the 3 all was a good game, don't get me wrong. But, but that, it was that moment of realisation that this is proper big city football where yeah. the fans really, they love their teams. They love their teams in Bristol. It's fantastic. I've got another game here where you ruined every City fan's first game of a new year. It was the following season, nil one. All right, Gary Penrise. But by then, yeah, yeah. you had Steve uh, Yates. Uh, I think it was Steve Yates. His Christian name. Yeah, yeah, Yates. Yeah, Nigel Martin in goal. Yeah. Now Nigel Martin. I don't, did he did he play very much for England or uh, with? A, oh yeah, quite a lot. He, did, he, he played a few, but if he was around now, he'd be first choice goalkeeper. When you look at what we seem to have yeah. in goal, wouldn't he? Yeah. Oh gosh, yeah, yeah, way ahead of the current lap. Yeah, I mean, he was quite unfortunate. I think David Seaman was one of his contemporaries, and Seaman probably, well, got more caps than Nigel. But Nigel was the first ever million pound goalkeeper. That's right. When he went to Palace and Rovers, and having come from Saint Blasey down in Saint Austell and came up on trial and you know you could see from day one he was a keeper in the making but again Jerry worked really hard on him and Jerry made him a top keeper but um, yeah Penny we Penny Penny used to do well Big Dev was always a problem to the City defence because he was yeah. big and un, you know ungainly and hard to play against um, and yeah it was a time I'm not quite sure why I mean we didn't win every game but I think I played mm. in quite a lot of derbies before I lost one and um, yeah. the Louis Donald the Louis Donald right. goal was the first one yeah first that time was, that was the first time I, I lost having played yeah. the first one in and Ollie missed a yeah. penalty in that one as well I've got written down uh, here yeah. I mean the and, game I remember Andy, Andy Leaning saved it yeah it was the game I remember, well, you remember lots of games, don't you, over the years, but this was uh, <laughs> 2nd of May, 1990, when oh, yeah. he pipped us for the bloody championship. Yeah? And uh, that was 3-0 yeah. uh, on the night. I mean, City yeah. just didn't show up. That was a great night for Rovers, wasn't it, that particular one? Yeah. Just, although both clubs won on the following Saturday, you yeah. nicked the league off uh, City doing Two that. points. Yeah, I think Bob Taylor getting injured was crucial for City. L losing Bob for the last five or six games. Yeah, he scored City thirty goals time. before he, he yeah, scored thirty yeah. goals that season before he went. But um... but but we, we Rovers won four out of our last five. That, that and you know one of them was against City, obviously. So mm. that that four wins out of five. And I, to be honest, I was talking about this recently with a, a friend, and the 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 week before we played uh, City on the Wednesday. The previous week, Rovers played Saturday, Monday, Thursday, Saturday, four games in seven days. Then played City on the Wednesday, 
and then played Blackpool last game of the season. I don't think teams would do it now. They wouldn't. They, they, they would. They would kick up a, ruck, a ruckus. But we managed to play four games in seven calendar day and seven days. You know what I mean? Extraordinary. Yeah, yeah that was our night. We, we, we. You know, it was really interesting that night. We came out in the tunnel together because I think the, the police wanted to show the fans that the players weren't. You know, there was no ill feeling. It was a yeah. great rivalry. There wasn't any ill feeling. It was a great rivalry. And it's a very narrow tunnel at Twerton Park. <laughs> Everything's smaller at Twerton Park. <laughs> and um, we, 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 we got out of the drift. I always, get, I always came out last for the Rovers player. I do superstition. And so I saw all the City lads come out to get to the front to go out together. And I've said about this with Bob and since I've spoken to him previously, you could see almost fear in their eyes that they didn't fancy it. And yet we were like really up for it. Yeah, um, and Bob, Bob Bob said to me loads of time, Biff, he said to me, God, that place, Twerton Park, I used to hate playing there. How did you manage playing there? I used to say, well, you only had to play there once a week, once a season. We had to play there 20-odd times. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it was our night. It was our night. We, you know, we, we played well and we dug in and breaks went you go your way. And yeah, it was our night. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I'm, then, I'm still thinking. I still think if Bob Taylor had stayed fit, City would have won the league. But hey, how that's going to it. it? But then, uh, 92, yeah. 93, rock bottom, and by then Jerry Francis had gone, hadn't he? Yes, I think as managing, you had a. I've got him, yeah. Martin Dobson, Dennis Rofe, and even the great Malcolm Allison. You know, they were all. Uh, yeah, it wasn't great then, was it? And your career at Rovers finished then, pretty much, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jerry stayed on one season after we got promoted to prove he could manage in the championship. Um, yeah. And there, then he moved on to QPR. And then it, it went like almost off the edge of a cliff in terms of, you know, Martin Dobson came in, told us we had no team spirit and that he would sort it out. And the only thing we really had was team spirit. It was all a bit strange, really. Um, he he left his assistant, Dennis Rove, lovely assistant manager, but not really cut out for a, a manager Good banter, made the lads laugh a lot. So when he took over and he tried to give out a, ro a rollicking, you're thinking, well, where's the punchline, Dennis? Because he always made us laugh. And during his reign, I broke my ankle, played Plymouth in the FA Cup. And um, I went up for a header with Dave Regis. And he didn't elbow me, but he just nudged me. And as I came down on my left ankle, I just felt it crunch. Yeah. And um, I went to A&E at RUH, uh, Bath RUH. And... Um, Within five minutes, I got the specialist telling me I'd broke my ankle and the draw for the next round of the FA Cup was made. And Bristol and Liverpool were playing on the Monday. So you probably think Liverpool are going to beat crew, which they did handsomely. And I, I missed a game against my boyhood team, which was really <laughs> disappointing. But ironically, Radio Bristol asked me to be part of their commentary team for the, for the okay. match at Twerton Park. So for the first time, I put these things on. Yeah, and a microphone, and was the kind of summarise alongside the comment alongside the commentator, which would have been Colin and Howlett back in those days, wouldn't it? Yes, yeah, Colin Howlett and Keith Beach did the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely spot on. Yeah, Colin was a wonderful man, and um, and I, I got this real, well, you know about it yourself. I got this real adrenaline buzz and rush of like, wow, this is really exciting. You know, you, what you say is what they hear, and what you see is what you've got to describe, and. And I, I was I was kind of smitten by it, if I'm being totally honest. And and that gave me the first interest in going into broadcasting. So you hadn't. So, so when you've done those when you've done those A levels back in the day, then you hadn't really. What, what, were they oh, business no. related, or what? 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 What made? What did you do? And you know, because I get how I, you fell into broadcasting, but 
English, I said on at school, did English literature A-level, French mm. A-level, which I got. And because I only did, well, I did general studies, which was just a kind of multiple choice. Because I did three out of three, I also did um, a sixth form O-level, which is Russian. I got an O-level in Russian as well. There you go, Dave. You didn't know that, did you? I didn't know so, that. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. So that was, I didn't know. I didn't. I didn't ever know why I wanted to yeah. be. I wanted, I was so you got that buzz, but you got that buzz then, yeah. just by chance, being asked to do. Yeah, yeah. Rovers yeah. draw against Liverpool and then losing a replay up there that season. Is that? Yeah, that's it. that yeah, if yeah. I remember yeah. that. Yeah, Drew, Drew won all at Twerton and then Carl Saunders scored first at yeah. Anfield and Liverpool, Liverpool won 2 1, yeah. Yeah, that's right. No, I remember that game because you know uh, Tim Capel was doing stuff for uh, yeah, yeah. We are about then. Tim Capel, good friend of mine. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, so you did broadcasting. So how did it? Did did somebody say to you, do, you, do I have a go at this? Was there a job? And they said apply for no, I, it. Because I, I, I wanted to. I wanted to get in rather than just be like a former footballer who could talk football. And I, I found a course at. Um, it was Bristol Polytechnic then. It's now UWE, University of Western yeah. England. And it was in time, time-based time media studies, specialising in radio journalism. So it was basically set out for overseas students, but they were quite happy to have me as part of the course. And I would go for an academic year, one, two, three afternoons a week after training. And I'd study how, you know, you'd be in the studio and how to work the equipment. And they'd talk to you about, you know, interview techniques and putting together packages and, you know, all, all the stuff you do in radio, really. So I didn't want to just try and go in as, you know, Billy Big Time because I played footy. I wanted to go in to show I was really committed to being a broadcaster and get some qualifications. And the BBC were good because I'd made that impression on them. And Keith Beach, my biggest ally at Radio Bristol at the time, he's moved on since. And um, and they gave me an opportunity. They gave me a six-month contract mm-hmm. as a sports reporter. And basically, it was like an extended trial, really, because, you know, I was rough. I wasn't. I was okay, but I was, no, I wasn't. I wasn't even okay. I was struggling really, but they wanted. <laughs> they had a plan, and um, and Rovers were brilliant. They paid up my contract, which I had till the June to run. Dennis Dunford, a wonderful man who's no longer with us. He, yeah. he he gave me he gave me what I would have earned had I stayed at the club for yeah. six months in a lump sum, and um, and I went to the BBC, and you know, slowly but surely they they knocked me into shape a little bit, and yeah. It's been been good, but you been got good. tempted. But you got tempted out for a short period in '96, yeah. didn't you? Yeah, so, yeah, I've been, yeah, I've been there three. Ollie, it was Ollie, sort of. Was it Ollie using his powers of persuasion, or you wanting to give it a crack, even if it was a um, both, both really. He, he he rang me one Friday afternoon. I'd been at the beat three years, and the sports editor by this time, so I'm in charge of the radio sports output. And then um, Ollie rang me in the newsroom, just on a desk phone. So I picked the phone up. And Ollie, Ollie looks upon me, still does actually, as his big brother, a bit taller, well, a lot taller. Mm. <laughs> Ollie a bit more sensible, apparently. I'm not sure about that. Um, and he'd always ask for advice and guidance when he played and when we played together. So he ran me up for some advice. Approached by Jeff Dunford to be the next player manager of Bristol Rovers. John Ward was the manager at the time. And um, Ollie said, well, what do you think? I said, take the job. He said, take the job? What do I know about football management? He said, mate, what's your core knowledge about in life he said football I said, well there's the answer he was playing at qpr at the time in the premier yeah. league i said mate if you don't do it now you'll end up someone else will get the job they'll probably do it for about three years and you'll finish playing in the interim and what will you do so go for it and he said to me on the phone yeah you're probably right but what i really need is an assistant someone i know someone i trust and someone i want to <laughs> work with 
And there was like a pregnant pause. And then I giggled. And he went, you wouldn't, would you? And I said, I wouldn't what? He said, be my, assist be my assistant. I said, well, you haven't asked me. And he went, will you be my assistant? And I said, yeah. He said, will you leave the BBC? I said, yeah, mate, football's in my blood. Let's give it a crap. Like yeah. So it was really awkward because I had a load of respect for John Ward. And this was in about the March. So the season yes. was going to run till May. So I'm sat in the biggest, knowing about the biggest sports story that we've had for ages, years probably, and I'm right in the middle of it. So it was fairly public round. Jeff Dunford and John Ward, the contract negotiations broke down. Because I, I, I remember this at the time, because hadn't yeah. John Ward been approached to be manager of Luton Town and he'd talked to them so. or something? Yeah, yeah there was something of that, wasn't there? It, it was yeah, all a bit of right. a, you know, yeah. bangy gone yeah. sort of thing, yeah? Yeah, from that, from yeah that. I think you're right. And then it was front page of the new contracts, says Jeff Dunford, blah, blah, blah. So it got closer and closer to the last game of the season. And then Rovers put out a press release to say they were um, having a press conference on the Monday morning. This is after the last game of the season. And um, I know exactly what's happening. I know that they're going to announce Ian Holloway as the, as the manager. Like, So I rang my boss up, my boss, and I said, oh, listen, I've got a bit of a good bit of information about Monday's press conference at the Rovers. He went, oh, right, brilliant. Well done, Jeff. What's happening? And I said, well... Um, they're going to announce Ian, Ian Holloway as the new player manager. And my boss goes, wow, that's amazing. Well done. That's great. That's great information. Uh, are you going to go and cover it? <laughs> and I went, um, no, because I've got something else to tell you. And he said, what's that? I said, I'm going to be his assistant. And it was a wonderful reaction from Mike Hapgood. Mike Hapgood, who's the son of Eddie Hapgood, who played for Arsenal back in yeah, the day, you know, yeah. in, you know, England International. Right. Mike loved his football. Mike loved his football, and he was a great champion of mine. And he, he said to me, "That's amazing." He said, "Brilliant. I'm really pleased for you because football's in your blood, and if that's what you want to do, I wouldn't stand in your way." And um, I went and did it on a three-year contract. And I, to be honest, David, I don't know if I was a bit impetuous or not, but. I just found being an assistant manager a little bit betwixt and between. You're not kind of picking the team. You're not giving out the rollickins. You're not. You're just just a conduit between the players and the manager. And the fact I'd done broadcasting, I was able to compare it. And after a year, Ollie was brilliant. He, bless him. He, he shed tears when I told him I was leaving. Um, so you just felt you just felt it wasn't for you. I mean, we used yeah. to playing the good cop, bad cop type of thing in that managerial scenario, or you just fell yeah, out of love with what the job you fell out of love with what the job was about then, yeah. basically. Yeah, it didn't really it didn't give me enough va va voom, whereas broadcasting does and still does, you know what I mean? So um had I not gone into broadcasting, I'd have stayed at it because I didn't have anything yeah. else to go to, you know. Yeah. So I went back to the BBC. Uh, I've been there ever since, since nineteen ninety-six. Yeah. Yeah, it was twenty-four years. But getting back, that's because when you turn your back on something in broadcasting, media can be very fickle. You know, I guess you you know, you you look back now and think I, the, I was looked after being able to get back into the fold, which is yeah. as you say, part of it for for 24 yeah. years now, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, yeah, no, 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 I went with Ollie in 93, didn't I? So I went back to the beginning in 94, yeah, so like 26 years, yeah. 26 yeah. years. So, and now broadcasting back then when you got back into it, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's changed a lot, hasn't it? Because back then you had the oh, Western wow. Daily Press and the Bristol Evening yeah. Post, Radio yeah. Bristol, which had started doing match day coverage and sport. Back in 1970, I think, when Herbie Gillum certainly used to do the yeah, yeah. Away games. Yeah. Then came came Cub Call, 
because I was involved with that for a period. And now we've yeah. got all of those things. Well, we haven't got Club Call anymore, but we've got no. uh, we've got the the forums and Twitter and yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. I mean, what are the biggest changes that you've uh, seen in broadcasting and how you go about your job? Never mind the financial constraints that are applied, but uh, what are the big changes that you've noticed? Ooh, broken up there. Yeah. What? Sorry, Jeff. What are the big changes that you've um, noticed in broadcasting? Well. Well, technology, you can't, you, you can't deny technology is incredible how that's moved on. Um, you know, the ability to broadcast out in the middle of a field, in the middle of nowhere, you can do that now. Into it, everything was done via permanent lines and it was very, it took ages to get something. If you went to a, an obscure football ground for an FA Cup tie, you have to have BT putting stuff in, whereas now you can take equipment from Bristol and just, it works off Wi-Fi and it just, it's just it's way beyond me, really. All I, all I want is a microphone just standing. But no, 21st century, uh, you've mentioned social media. People expect success yesterday when a new manager takes over. United, um, people can be anonymous and send out tweets and texts and you never quite know if they're genuine. And, you know, it, it, it just seems faster moving and faster paced. But... The great thing is that the stuff we provide at Radio Bristol is the match day commentary, which, you know, is still highly valued and life can change, you know, beyond recognition, but there'll still be a demand for radio football commentaries because people yeah. value it and that's the way it goes. And and the programmes I've also introduced, you know, the Sound of the City, which you've been on recently, which is brilliant. Um, the Scrum for the rugby audience, the Sports Store for the grassroots stuff, having a gas for you know who. I mean, again, that was a brave move, which you know I put to my boss as a, as a plan, and she backed me. And you know, giving giving fans a bespoke program about their team and their sport, you know, there, there aren't an awful lot of local radio stations. Well, there aren't any other local radio stations mm -hmm. doing that. So, so they're, they're kind of you know, it's changed in many ways, but it hasn't changed in many other ways. If, if that makes any kind of sense, yeah. the way we do things has changed, but what we're, what we're providing is it's, it's it hasn't changed an awful lot. Yeah. How, how true is it that many City fans would say, and Rovers fans for that matter, but when your reporters are questioning the manager, sometimes the questions that the fans want, is, is it right that the, the journalists have to strike a balance between being diplomatic and not getting themselves frozen out? You know, because you, 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 you've done some very probing interviews and you've been well credited for asking hard questions that maybe yeah. others have walked away from. But, I mean, if we relate it to City, if we go back to some of the managers that have been there, and there have been a few, but, I mean, look at Danny Wilson, you know, he 4 playoff final, he got binned. What was he like to deal with as a, as a guy? That was in your time there. Danny, good guy? Brilliant. Yeah, wonderful guy. Yeah, great guy. Uh, and actually gentleman and, you know, always made time for you, never said no, never refused an interview. Um, I mean... I, I can only speak for myself, and it's my job, because I'm a presenter, um, it's my job to ask the questions that the football fans and the rugby fans want asking of the people. So my job, I've got a privilege. Dean Holden will agree to do an hour with me because he respects me and respects what we do. Um, but the balance I strike is um, I don't become a, a PR arm of the football club. Um I, I gauge what the fans are talking about and what they want to know about. 
and it's my job to ask them the questions of the people. And if it upsets Mark Ashton or if it upsets Wael Al-Khadi, that's too bad because my loyalty is to my audience. That's the way I go about my business, really. Yeah. Um, and I, I had a spell when I was doing news and current affairs um, on Radio Bristol, and I think it was 2017 general election. I interviewed face-to-face, separately, the leaders of the three main parties. So David Cameron, Nick Clegg, and... Um, Jeremy Corbyn? No. No, no, before him, his brother's in there as well, isn't he, in, in, in politics, um, leader of the Labour Party at the time. Anyway, it doesn't really matter too much. And without kind of sound, trying to sound complacent again, when you've interviewed people like that, um, who are highly trained in terms of PR and what they say and what they don't say and how they go about it. I mean, that, that really does help your interviews technique, put it that yeah. way, you know what I mean? But my, my loyalty is always to my audience. Um, and I'm not, out to, I'm not out to gain points over anybody. Um, and it's a privileged job I've got. And if I'm going to do it properly, it's, it's for people who, who are listening. And there's nothing yes. worse, I guess, just saying, oh, he didn't ask him that. Why didn't he ask him that? Why didn't he go back and ask more about that? And if I upset people along the way, sell a V, but it's how you gain your it's how you gain your stripes. How you gain your stripes, doing it like that. Looking at some of the other city managers, I mean Gary Johnson, you knew him from Yeovil, he was always great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That Steve Coppel scenario, which is 10 years ago now, was that a surprise, really? Or did you feel he was yeah. never properly engaged with the club from the time they said he was going to be announced as manager? It was a funny one, Matt, wasn't it? I don't think he was ever there long enough to engage with anyone. Um, I, got all, I got all fine with Steve. Um, you could tell he was different, but being different is no bad thing in life. But the day he left... Um, well, I don't think he left that day. I don't, I don't know exactly how long he stayed on, but I was off the, on this particular day. And City did their press at Aston Gate. And all the main media were like in the, um, the main stand where, above the, where the dressing rooms are now. And he'd been across on the other side on the doorman stand underneath doing a, an interview with Sky. And his car was parked behind the Atio stand. And for whatever reason, he did his interview with Sky, and on his way round to come and see the rest of the local media and the likes who are on the other side of the ground, um, he went in his, the office, his office at that time was in the dorm, in, in the Atio stand. Yes, uh, yeah. got, he got his jacket and keys, got in his car and drove off. So all <laughs> the rest of the media were left high and dry. Bizarre, very strange. But but he, he again, he was only there a short term, term time, but he never ever declined an interview with me, and no. he was quite happy to talk. Sean, Sean O'Driscoll was a bit Yes. <laughs> yeah, Sean was yeah really hard work, very strange again. Um, I mean, I did I did an in-depth TV interview with him, and um, I mentioned about the league table, and he said he was trying to convince me that the league table doesn't really matter. And I said, <laughs> well, it is. It's the barometer of how you're doing. You know what I mean? If, if if you're in the relegation zone, it's your job on the line, so it does matter. Um, and he he didn't engage when I asked him about what's it like at three o'clock and the you know the gladiatorial kind of conflict of yeah. the opposing manager. He said, no, I don't like that. He said, I just like coaching players on the training ground. I'm thinking, wow, that, that, that's, that's, not, that's not what football, and then they went from what the football extreme, is about. They went from the extreme with Steve Cottrell. And up now, Steve Cottrell gave City fans one season of immense pleasure, which was a double season, 2014-15. I think he finished because he was probably his own worst enemy, I think, when he wasn't naming full benches and stuff like that. 
And do you think, looking back, that he was as supported as he might have been in that close season? Or do you think his demeanour sometimes, he hadn't endeared himself to the powers that be yeah. at Ashton Gate back then? Yeah, I mean, he was well supported because that squad he put together for the double winning season was incredible. His ability to sign the right players for the club at the for time. For that was, season, was I mean, yeah, he went out and signed five really, really good players that got us but, out of the championship. But then the following yeah. summer, the following but, summer, there were allegedly players that he wanted that he didn't get. And then he it never seemed to be sweet after that, did it? I don't know the ins and outs of, of, of who he wanted and who he didn't get and what he got and he didn't get. But I know Steve's he's kind of persona is one. He's, he's very headstrong, isn't he? He's not short mm. of confidence, which which is great. You need confidence in, a, in, a, in, a, in any environment. Um, I just felt once or twice he probably put one or two no, noses out of joint. And in the yeah. end, it probably cost, it cost him really. But what he did at the football club was quite staggering. And yeah. I just really wished there'd been a little bit of more from, from both parties, him and from the club, a bit more give and take and got themselves a bit more on, on an even keel, but people are different, aren't they? It's the way it goes. Of course. And then Lee came in and three years yeah. ago this month, we had the cup run, but we, you know, that is three years ago yeah, now, yeah. the uh, yeah, yeah. quarterfinal win over Man U and, and then uh, Man City as well. But uh, it City have sort of, until this season, you know, they've always had, well, we don't know what's going to happen this season. I think it will be different, but... Do you think Lee, the time was right when Lee went this summer? Yeah, because he'd had, you know, it would be yeah. second half of the season failure for three years in a row, really, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. No, I've got huge respect for Lee and, you know, I, I like the guy dearly. And again, he, he never declined an interview. He never stopped any of his players coming on the sound of the city. He was brilliant. But I do think, I think he'd run his race. Yeah, I do. I think he's run his race. Football managers, have, they've only got a finite time at a football club unless they're successful with trophies and or evolve the squad enough to keep them battling for places and keep the spirit high. I just felt Lee, it just got a little bit stale with him. But the glory times under him, I mean, that, that night with United and, and Man mm. City, goodness me, they're, they're the best, best nights I've well, no, I was at Anfield for the Liverpool win as well. That was a heck of a night as well for City. But oh, yeah. they're, they're right up, they're right up there, aren't they? They're right up there. They, they were amazing. And you know, innovation. He's got absolutely brilliant innovation and ideas. And and he's a, he, well. I'll tell you a little story about him. When that record run of defeats was it eight in a row or something? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, wasn't, wasn't very clever, was it? Miliband, by the way, was the previous uh, lady. That's the one. And. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's that, the last thing impression. Yeah, it's it, that really bad run. And um, I had I had Steve Lansdowne on on the sound of the city. He, he'd gone into the BBC in where he lives, and um, he did this down the line chat. And again, like you've alluded to already, I've got to ask the questions that the fans want the answers to. So, Steve, thanks for coming on. And I, you don't warm him up with it, with it. You don't need to warm Steve Lansdowne up with it with an introductory question. You go straight for it. Um, you just set a record, Steve, of eight successive defeats. Why, why is Lee Johnson still your head coach? And he he, he defended he defended Lee to the hilt, absolutely defended him to the hilt. And um, he said, because he's part of the plan that I think he's the right man to take this football club forward. Well, why is he the right man if he's just lost eight games in a row? Doesn't that tell you that he probably isn't the right man? Anyway, Steve defended him, defended him. So the following Thursday of the same week, so four nights later... Lee was coming to speak at Long Ashton Golf Club as part of a sportsman's dinner, which I'm hosting. So Lee's come in and I've gone to greet him at the bar and smile, shook hands, usual stuff. 
And he said to me, I was listening to you on Monday with, with Steve Lansdowne. And I thought, oh, wow, that's an interesting conversation going to be about with Lee here, like, you know. I went, all right, yeah. He went, you don't mess about with your questions, do you? I said, no, it's my job, mate, isn't it? He said, no, I have got a problem with it. He said, in fact, it was a great listen. He said, I was sat on the driveway of my, my house in my car and I couldn't get out, so you'd stop. I said, yeah. He said, but, yeah, it was, no, he said it was interesting. And um, I said, what you've got to understand, Lee, every time I pushed him on your future, he defended you with more and more mm. assertion, assertion. And at the end of it, I said to him, this is really clever what he said. I said to him, mate, why are you listening to that? Why are you listening to me talking to your boss about your your See, job? Yeah, yeah. And he went, Jeff, I'd much rather hear it firsthand than I go into the ground tomorrow and someone misreports what you've said or asked or what he said or whatever. He said, yeah. so I know exactly in my mind what what was said, what you asked, and I ain't got a problem with any of it. And that yeah. was, I thought, you know, that, that, that summed the bloke up to me. A lot of people would have taken umbrage to that. They wouldn't have liked the fact that I'd asked about his job and blah, blah, blah. But that was Lee. I mean, he's, he'll, he'll come back a stronger. He'll be, he'll, yeah. he'll be a good football manager somewhere. I've got a lot yeah, of do you think, do you, Some people say, you know, he might be better being a manager, uh, sorry, an assistant manager at a bigger club, but, you know, he's being linked with a Sunderland job. Do you think he's got a chance of that or would that be a basket case for him to go up there, even consider it? Or maybe abroad, no, you see him maybe coaching abroad because he's always trying to self-improve, isn't he? Yeah, he's, 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 yeah, he's got a lot of dimensions. I mean, Sunderland's a fantastic football club. And, you know, it would be a great job for Lee Johnson if he went and got it. Um, I don't think he'll ever go and be an assistant or a coach because it's going back to me when I was, you know, he's a number yeah. one. I think once, you, I think once you've been a number one yeah. and you've given out, given out the rocket, and you've signed him because you fancy him as a player and you get rid of him because you don't fancy him. When you've had that kind of autonomy and that real control, I think going down the, the ladder of control is, is not for Lee. Now, I think he'll come back as a, he'll come back as a manager. Um, he'll come back. He'll come back soon. Yeah. Back to uh, the gap between City and Rovers. Um, City have got their new training, uh, their new mind the gap. coming. Yeah, mind the gap. Their yeah. new training ground it looks very impressive when you drive past Phelan. The ground is... You know, is a palace. They're building the uh, basketball arena as well. Um, yeah, yeah, it's good. Has never been wider. Can yeah. it be closed? Can it be closed? You know, do the do you, you know? I mean, because unlike a lot of city fans, I don't despise Rovers. I used to alternate <laughs> watching them week in either either way. You know, in the days in the seventies and, and early eighties. You know, Rovers, they've been talking about their new ground and what have you. I mean, they are sad to say the poor relation, but, you know, the, there's always, a, there's always mm. a place for two clubs in Bristol, isn't there? That's what we're saying. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, always. Yeah, I was asked recently about should they just amalgamate and be stronger. There's no guarantee by amalgamating to be stronger. Yes. Um, you're right. The gap is huge. I mean, I, my, my daughter, um, she was born... 1990, the year when Rovers, you know, won the league. We were talked earlier about it, and the next season, you said Rovers finished above City. And and when I when I mention that to her occasionally, because in her kind of grown up life, all she knows is City being that far <laughs> ahead of Rovers. She thinks Dad's winding her up. She said, Dad, you've never Rovers were never better than City. I said, Well, we were because we finished above them in the league a couple of three seasons. But I understand why you can't imagine it because the golf. It's never been greater. Now, to answer your question, will it? Will they close? Um, 
Rovers have got a lot of work to do to close any kind of gap because I don't think City are going to go down at all. No. In fact, I've got a good feeling about this season, if I'm being honest, because it's a strange season. There's no yeah. advantage playing at home. There's no disadvantage playing away. Dean's got them really together. He's got a real old-fashioned football spirit going, and I like Dean a lot. So I think City are going to do well. I think, you know, top six. Um, Rovers are way off the pace at the moment. I like Wild Alcard. I admire what he's done. He's written off the debt. Yeah, he's developing a training ground, but it's just juddering to a halt in terms of a stadium, and, and they're a long way behind. Um, I think in their current form, Rovers are a League One club. Yeah, City could get, and City could get the Premier League, so they diminish any shape or form. That's my yeah. opinion. Yeah, no, it's good. Well, look, let's just finish on a couple of things that are very current. You, you've alluded to it to some yeah. extent. Season 2021, um, it's COVID-affected. I mm. don't see football, certainly at Ashton Gate, the fact they're going to use it as a vaccination centre. I don't see... Either. Do, do you think we'll see crowds above, I'll say, 10,000 at Ashton Gate between now and no. the end of the season? Do you, do you think this season's gone? Yeah. Um, well, Mark, Mark Kelly, the MD down there, tells me now they could accommodate 9,500. Um, safely, but they're not going to do that obviously because of winning tier three. And you know, if it goes up to tier two, the best we'll get is 2,000, whatever. Um, the vaccine is coming, yeah, you're probably right. 10,000, they might get 10,000, they might get a little bit more than 10,000 before the end of the season. Um, yeah, it's just a strange time, David, isn't it? I mean, you know, it's like a bad film that, you know, someone had gone to a film director saying this is the idea, the world's going to close down for a year and say, no, that couldn't possibly happen, but it has happened. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I wouldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't challenge your figure because I've got no, no, no expertise. And, 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 one, and one thing we would like to, to shut down is, uh, is VAR. Um, what do you, I mean, do you think that's killing the game? It's getting a lot of yeah. pelters at Premier League level with matches that are, you know, you can't celebrate a goal like you used to yeah. if there's an element of doubt, can you? I tell you what, it's, you can't celebrate a goal. And on a Saturday afternoon, when goals go in, we get a feed-through from the press association. So, you know, a goal at, like, say, whoever. And you're almost reticent to give the goal out on the radio because you've got to wait for clarity of it, whether it's challenged or whether it's going to stand. I think VAR's a ruination. I really do. Um, I was talking with Steve Dunn, who was Premier League referee in his own right from Bristol years ago. And, and all Steve ever wanted was Golan technology. This is before Golan technology yeah. got now at Ashton Gate and the likes. He said, I'll make the rest of the decisions, but all I want to know is if that ball has crossed the line, because that's really important. And I thought VAR was brought in for like clear and obvious mistakes. Now, if you take six minutes to determine whether a football is offside by drawing lines and flicking lines around, it takes, there was one this recently took six minutes. Yeah. That's not clear and obvious. No. You know what I mean? And they so could make, it, they could make it, it simple. They could make it simple just by doing yeah. clear light of day, because when you talk about yeah. heels and arms and everything like that, Jeff, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've enjoyed hearing. My pleasure. I've enjoyed hearing about the uh, early stuff. Um, we can uh, enjoy the rest of uh, enjoy the rest of this season. I think you're right about City. I think you know it's the typical Bristol City. You know that we get promoted with nobody watching them. But uh, I hope that I hope that doesn't happen. But uh, you know, let's see where we are late in January and what have you. But uh, Jeff, uh, my pleasure, and um, yeah, yeah. Oh, speak again very soon. Here we go. 
It's the 90th minute. All your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you still the last nugget snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times delivery and time supply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.